The word of the Lord this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two, they were covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may look not with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is utterly desolate until the Lord sends everyone far away and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. The word of the Lord. Well, some things never change. They really don't. If my recollection is correct, this is the fifth Trinity Sunday in a row that I've been asked to preach at Table Life Church. It, 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 the sketch goes this way. Pentecost comes. We have a big celebration. We have a big meal afterwards. Everybody parties. And then Monday, the pastor goes on vacation. And Jeff gets to fill the pulpit on Trinity Sunday. Some things just never change. And it's Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday. I, I was thinking about this. This is the Sunday that the church celebrates the fullness of the Godhead revealed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Sunday on the church calendar when the church has decided that the seminal doctrine of the church about God and his revelation of himself is front and center on that Sunday. And the pastor leaves town. I'm not sure what to make of that. But here I am, once again, fifth year in a row, Trinity Sunday, preaching. No doubt that the Trinity is a hard concept for a lot of us to understand. We get caught up in our math and try to how, how in the world does one plus one plus one equal one? That, that just doesn't compute. Even with new math, it still doesn't seem to work. The truth of the matter is, is that the Trinity is not yet not exactly something to be understood, but something to be experienced. 
You see, it's one God who reveals himself in three distinct ways to humanity, and yet at the same time, none of those three ways cease to exist because they are all God. God makes himself known to us as the father of all who out of love created this world and created all of the creatures. And then he made himself very distinctly and specifically known to us and and explained the details of what his love for us is in the person of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And then as last Sunday we celebrated, God then sends himself his spirit to us to encompass us to empower us, to make the church come alive with his spirit so that we can then be the presence of God in the world. Yeah, here again, we are on another Trinity Sunday, fifth one in a row. Some things never change. And yet the truth of the matter is, I'm not going to go into the list. We've heard enough of these but we've all been through a lot of changes the last 18 months of our lives. We've all seen things that we never thought we would see coming, and we've all experienced things and had to make adjustments that we never thought, both in the world, in our country, and even here at Table Life Church. And maybe that's where we can find our way into this text this morning. This story about Isaiah or in worship as he gathered into the, the, the house of the Lord, and we, he tells of this, this unbelievable spectacle of God's presence arriving on the scene. But where I think we might best connect with him is in that little phrase, that little tiny phrase, in the year that King Uzziah died. You see, the death of Uzziah for the nation of Israel, and for Isaiah in particular, was a ground-shaking event. The king prior to Uzziah had all kinds of problems, made deals, and even went to the prophets of other gods to get advice for Israel. The, the, The nation of Israel had begun to turn away from Yahweh. They began to look to other places to make other alliances. But when Uzziah comes on the scene, there is, I guess, what we call a revival of sorts. A reinstitution of temple worship takes place. The temple and, and, and the, the, the state begin to actually join together, and the king wants to work with the priests and wants to know how is it that the, the, the people of God, a people of faith, are supposed to follow God, and how should he lead? He even institutes, reinstitutes, I should say, an office in the temple during his reign called the temple prophets. Isaiah is believed to be one of them. These were people who were actually employed to be the voice of God for the people, and they resided there in the temple. This was a time of rebuilding and strengthening of a nation. This was a time when Israel was beginning to have a sense in which maybe we could return back to the days of King David, our great king. And now, Uzziah is dead. What's going to happen with a new leader in charge? They've seen it so many years since David and Solomon's passing. One year, we have a new regime come in, and it goes well. And the next year, it 
doesn't go so well. And sometimes we're close to God and sometimes we're not. And it seems as if the people of God have been swaying back and forth on who's in charge, who's the king. And now the king that looked like it was setting them in a right, the right direction is dead. What's going to happen with this new leader? What will become of all the progress that we've made? What will become of all of the revival within the lives of those those Israelite people, those people in Judah? What's going to become of that? For Isaiah, as he gathered in that temple that day, there was another thought. Could it be that a new king means no job? Will he want temple prophets anymore? Isaiah is not in a good place. He has been through a lot of changes, and he finds himself in the temple through all of these changes, and he gathers for worship, hoping to hear from God. And what happens? God shows up. I joked with the worship team this morning quickly before service and said maybe we should have ordered flash pots and smoke machines for service this morning to kind of get the feel of this text. I mean, God shows up. I mean, those little, those little statues that were hanging on the side of the temple, they came alive and started flying around. I know, some might call it an LSD trip. But the truth is, is that Isaiah was in the temple and he saw God. He went to church and God met him there, is what we might say today. And yet his reaction. His reaction is not the reaction that I would typically think I would hear from people in church whenever they come to church and they sense God's presence. His reaction is something along the lines of, woe is me. Now, a little side note here. The title that's in the worship folder is not exactly the title I picked for this sermon. I took my title to our church office secretary and I sat down with her and I said, Here is my title. And she looked at it and she said, I can't print that in the church worship folder, and I'm definitely not putting that on Facebook or YouTube. (laughs) And I said, why? She said, really? I said, the word holy's in it. I mean, it's a two-word title, and it has holy in it, and this chapter has holy, holy, holy in it. I mean, I'm, I'm referencing the text. But as often happens in churches, the secretary won. (laughs) But I figure I could get the last word in. My original title was, holy crap. (laughs) Because I thought to myself, what if I was Isaiah in church and this just happened to me? I would probably in my 21st century American Perry County way say, Holy crap, I don't belong here. That's way different than we talk about church. When, when, we're, when we come to church and God's there, some of the comments after church are always really interesting to hear. For the more touchy-feely type, it's usually like, I could feel God in church today. I even got some warm fuzzies when the worship team was singing. For those of us that may be a little bit more on the the intellectual side, we we might say that 
I got a lot out of church today. I was really moved by the selection of the music, and, and the sermon really challenged me and made me think about my walk with Christ, and God really spoke to me. And then there's a few of us who say, it had to be good. I stayed awake through the whole thing. But Isaiah's response is, run, get out of here. I don't belong in this place. This is not the kind of place that we human beings should find ourselves. You know, it's funny if you think about it, that when we're in God's presence, this text suggests the first thing we should be is scared to death. And not just this text. But throughout the whole Bible, when God shows up, People are scared out of their boots. Think about it. You know, shepherds keeping watch over their fields by night. God's angels show up to announce the birth of Christ. And the first thing that they have to say to the shepherds is, fear not. Because they were ready to run and abandon the sheep and get out of there. There's even, at the end of our Bible, the story of John on the island of Patmos. I mean, this guy's been following God for like, maybe 90 years at this point. Heba says, I'm praying in the Lord's day here on the island of Patmos. And he sees a vision. He sees the Son of Man setting. And he, and, and he, he says in Revelation 1, he says, he says, I fell down as I was dead. Maybe he's like, I'm thinking he's like a little, little toddler, thinking if I cover my head, they can't see me. I don't know. But he, he covers himself up because he thought, I am doomed. And the Lord says to him, fear not. There's even the story of Elijah, who was wanting to see God. He wanted to see God. But God wasn't in the thunderstorms. God wasn't in the earthquake. He was hiding in the cave. And there was a still, small voice, and God had arrived on the scene. And the thing we don't catch is that Elijah wants to come out and see God, but he covers his face because he knows, I don't belong in his presence. What does it mean for us to have a worship where we so encounter God that we are afraid to be in his presence just as we are? Could you imagine the, uh, the conversations with our Methodist and Lutheran neighbors after church. So brother, how was church today? Oh man, it was great. Yeah, I got scared out of my mind. God was there. How was yours? I wonder if there's something that we have missed. Is that worship of this triune God is not just something about making us feel better about living. But worship of this triune God is to find ourselves in his presence in a way where we find ourselves scared to be human in his presence. Holy, holy, holy God. Well, Isaiah doesn't leave the scene. He doesn't leave the presence of God. Maybe he's so scared he's frozen in his tracks. He doesn't leave. 
He knows he doesn't belong there. He knows that he is a person of unclean lips. He lives among a people of unclean lips. He knows he's part of a sinful world, and it's, 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 it's stuck itself all over him, and he doesn't belong there. And then God, seeing this unworthy prophet, acts on his behalf. He sends a seraph to take a coal from the altar and purge his lips. You see, that's, that's a beautiful picture of, of, of just the movement of humanity into a relationship with God. We don't deserve to have God's presence in our lives as human beings. We, we, we have walked as, hum, as the human race have walked so far away from him that when we find ourselves in the presence of this holy God, we should be scared. But this God loves us so much that he acts on our behalf. And he takes and places the coal on our lips and makes us able to be in his presence. Isaiah is served with the coal. His lips are purged. His guilt is taken away. He is set free to be in God's presence. And in that moment, he is not only set free to be in God's presence, but now he is able and free to step forward if God were, should call, uh, were to call him into service. And that's what we have, an invitation. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Well, in the midst of this image of God, this, this powerful picture of God's presence, Isaiah's response is, here am I, send me. I'll go. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, some of you know, because we've done strength finders together, my top strength, deliberation. I can tell you right now, I probably would not have responded as quickly as Isaiah to that. I would have probably said, hey, there's a few questions I want to know here. There's a few things that I want to know about what it is that you're wanting me to do. I need to see what, how, how to get this in order and if this is going to work. What's the risk factors here? But not Isaiah. He's been impacted by this presence of God to the point that he's scared to death that then he's been made right in front of God. And as soon as God says, who will I send? There's Isaiah jumping up and down. Here am I, send me, send me. And then he asks the deliberator question, what are you sending me to? Now I was thinking, if the Table Life Church profile looked anything like the profile that Isaiah was given about the people that he was going to speak, going to go out and speak to for God, I don't think Pastor Chris would have accepted our offer. Did you hear that? They are people who are deaf, they're blind, and on top of it, if they're not deaf and blind, Isaiah is supposed to speak to them so they become deaf and blind. That, that the, the whole process of his speaking, of his, his vocational ministry is going to be all about reminding these people how far away from God they really are. And then when he asked the question, so how long do I do this? God's answer, till it's all laid flat. Till there's nothing left. I mean, people pick on Amos in the Bible for being a doomsday prophet. 
But I'm thinking Isaiah's probably got the corner on doomsday prophecy right here. And you know, here's the thing that really I think is interesting about Isaiah. This is chapter 6. There's 60 more chapters in the book of Isaiah. He didn't quit. He kept going. There, there are many biblical scholars who believe that not only did Isaiah prophesy for many years, but he also had several apprentices who were with him. And he, he taught him taught them his, his, his ways of preaching and his ways of teaching and how to be the voice of God. And some believe that even some of those later chapters in Isaiah may have not been from Isaiah himself, but actually for some of these apprentices who he trained in his early ministry. He not only continued through following through his call, he passed it on to other people and his legacy lived on. This guy was serious. Something happened in that temple that day that shook him to his boots. And he said, if this God calls me, no matter how much resistance, no matter how difficult it is, I'm going forward because he has accepted me. One encounter with God. And Isaiah shakes off the concerns of the world around him and speaks for God to a people who will not listen listen for the rest of his life. You know, there's kind of a worship pattern here, guys. Fear, pardon, commission, sending. We kind of follow that in our own order of worship, though we don't use the fear word. We talk about praise and worship. And then we have prayers of the people. And then we hear the commission from the pulpit. We respond at the table, and then we are sent forth as God's people. I wonder if we can have a worship service like that at Table Life Church. I mean, what would it take to have a service when we were all scared to death to be there? What would it be like if we gathered for worship knowing that God is going to show up and that we need to be ready because it's going to be scary? That's the funny thing. You see, today's Trinity Sunday. It's the day that the church celebrates its awareness of God's full revelation. It's the day in which we say that, that we, the voice of God has spoken into creation and that, that the, the voice of the Son has been heard from the cross offering forgiveness and we've felt the presence of the Spirit who has filled and empowered His church. And I wonder if the fullness of God revealed has become a little less awe-inspiring for us. Yeah, smoke and flying seraphs would be really cool in worship. Yeah, they would probably get our attention, and some of us would probably really enjoy it, but what we in the church confess is that the Spirit of the presence of the resurrected Christ is with us all the time. 
that what we celebrated last Sunday is that when God sent his spirit to his church, he hasn't left. He's with his church wherever we go. Do we ever tremble to think that we're always in the presence of God? I know. Where's the love, Jeff? I mean, that's what we preach a lot. I mean, we're Wesleyan after all. We believe in the holy love of God. The, the love that reached down in Christ and, 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 and forgave the world of its sin. And, and yet there is, I think, on Trinity Sunday, this moment where we need to stop and take pause and say, it's not just always about the love. It's about the holiness of God. It's about the awesomeness of God. It's about the otherness of God. He is not like us. And while we know He loves us and He reaches down for us and He cares for us and He sends His Spirit to comfort us at times of sorrow, we need to never forget the fact of what Isaiah saw that day. This God is awesome. He is like no other that we have ever experienced in our life. And when we are in His presence, apart from His grace, it should scare us to death. I wonder... I wonder if the idea of God's presence with us could ever challenge us and compel us to serve Him despite any resistance we may encounter in our lives. Isaiah was called to create resistance with his preaching. How often do we resist moving forward in service to God because it becomes a little difficult, or we don't think they really want to hear us. The spirit that we celebrated the giving of last week was given to empower God's church to represent God's love, as was specifically revealed in Jesus Christ to redeem God's broken world. You and I, we're part of a co-purged lip group of people who have been called by God, empowered by His Spirit to go to a world that's just not listening. And we're called to proclaim in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds a redemption from this miserable, broken existence that we live in to a place where healing and wholeness and love can encompass. We are to call people into and invite them into God's kingdom. Our lips are purged. Our guilt is taken away. We are set free to step forward and respond to God's call. We are ones who can hear when those around us cannot hear. God has revealed himself to us. He has allowed us in his presence so that we can represent him to this blind and deaf creation that is around us. The church's primary task is not to be liked. The church's primary task is not even to be listened to. At its core, 
the church, the people of God, is to be the image of this loving triune God in the world, whether they accept us or not. And I don't know about you, but the thought of that scares me to death. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.